0: it's not always the big things that change the world it's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place so every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way welcome to doing good with carmen Herbert.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. I am so excited for our guest today. John Hilton III was born in San Francisco and grew up in Seattle. He served a mission in Denver and got a bachelor's degree from BYU. While there, he met his wife, Lonnie, which is an awesome story. Maybe he'll tell us a little bit about that today. And they have six children. They have lived in Boise, Boston, Miami, Mexico, Jerusalem, and China. Currently, they live in Utah. John has a master's degree from Harvard and a PhD from BYU, both in education. John is a professor of religious education at BYU. He has published several books with Deseret Book, including The Founder of Our Peace. John enjoys speaking at Education Week and at many other events. His education research has influenced policy both in the United States and internationally. John loves being with his family, doing humanitarian work, learning Chinese, and performing magic. And he is a good friend of mine. We've known each other for, gosh, maybe five or six years. We both spoke at um, some events together, firesides and, and um, time timeout for girls events with Deseret Book. And I'm so excited that he decided to come on and talk with me today. Thanks for being here, John.
0: You bet, Carmen. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you.
1: You too. And remember for those listening, this podcast is exclusive to Our Turtle House. So be sure to tell your friends and family if they want to listen in too to download the Our Turtle House app. It's free and this is a free version. And so you can listen to all these awesome podcasts and check out the other ones that we've done about people doing good. So John, let's talk about this new book that you have released. It's called The Founder of Our Peace, which could not have come out at a more perfect time, <laughs> tell me how the idea came about for this book.
0: So I actually started working on it eight years ago. So you're right; the timing turns out to be pretty serendipitous that it's released um, two weeks before the COVID nineteen pandemic really kicks in. Uh, that that part was not planned. But um, you know, as I think about my own life, there's been lots of times when I've struggled with worries, fears, anxieties, and and not always, you know, to the point where it's completely debilitating, but often to where it's just stressful. And even as a child, I remember being scared of bullies or in junior high, there were certain things I was really worried about. And one day as I was walking home from school, there was a society that was handing out little miniature copies of the New Testament. So I grabbed one, I thought it was cool. And they had this really cool feature in this particular Bible where in the front, it was said, if you're worried about a friend, look up these verses. If you're feeling nervous, look up these verses if you're worried. And so I started, you know, these were all like normal teenage problems to be having. And as I looked them up, I found these great verses that gave me comfort and peace. And I realized that, well, obviously in some circumstances, we're going to need professional mental health treatment, In many cases, we can find great peace through the teachings of Jesus Christ. And that's kind of maybe what got me started in thinking about this direction.
1: That is so true. I think that and I I agree with you. My dad is a psychiatrist, and so he deals with mental health on a daily basis. And I believe there's absolutely a time and a place for that. And you shouldn't be ashamed if that's something that you need help with. And in fact, it should be something that you run towards if you really need it, because there's help available to all those who are struggling. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is free and available to all. And there, when I find that I'm having an extra hard day or an extra hard time, I think, have I read my scriptures? Have I knelt in Honest, sincere prayer. Have I served someone today? And most likely, I haven't. My prayer has been rushed. I maybe read a verse or not at all. And it's amazing how it's the simple things that really do bring that peace into our lives.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So, when you started writing this book, um, tell me about, tell me how your inspiration came about. Did you spend a lot of time? Reading the scriptures and in the temple, is is it through life experience that 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 has helped you um, apply these principles? Um, I I love that you say, here are examples in your chapters. You say, here's here's the principle, and then here's an example of how to apply it to your life. Did a lot of these come from personal experiences?
0: They did. So I think like kind of the three areas of the triangle where it came from is first the scriptures, uh, second, actual research. So looking at what modern day psychological studies are finding, what are experts talking about with respect to finding peace. And then the third, like you said, is my own personal experiences. And I think that's that's really the sweet spot is when you can kind of find all those together. One of the things, so even before, before I really like zeroed in on, on how this book would turn out, I was really interested in lesser known stories from the Old Testament. Because a lot of times, if you know you're talking about Ammon and the missionaries or something like that, everyone's right. heard that story. Yes. But when you look to the Old Testament, we say, "Well, what lessons can we learn from Nehemiah?" People are like, "Who's Nehemiah?" Right. <laughs> so I thought that was a kind of a fun thing to do, and and just maybe as one example, the there's a, a Jacob whose name is later, his name is later changed to Israel he's having this conflict with his brother and the scriptures say that he was greatly afraid and distressed and he's he's so worried. And the scriptures describe all these things that he tries to do. But the next day when he finally meets his brother, there's actually no problems. His brother gives him a hug and everything he was worried about was resolved. And then I found several psychological studies that show the same thing that people today tend to most of the things we worry about actually don't happen. So by worrying about things, we suffer for things needlessly. Right. And so I thought, Oh, cool. Here's this lesser known scripture story. It connects with this, um, actual psychological findings. And then in my own life, I realized I do this all the time. I'm always Me worried too. about so many things. And I think, why am I worried about this? It's probably not going to happen. Right. And if it happens, it'll probably be not as bad as I think it is.
1: But how do we actually apply that? Cause I, I listened to that. I was on a run when I was listening to that, the story about Jacob and Israel and his brother. And I thought, okay, I am the exact same way. I worry a lot and I've always been a highly anxious person growing up and I would worry about tornadoes and I would worry about silly things like what if I married a serial killer and I didn't know he's not by the way, (laughs) but what if I marry someone that turns out to be someone completely different who I think he is and I would, it would consume my life and to the point where Honestly, some days I felt like I can't even get out of bed because I'm so worried about something terrible happening to me or someone that I love. So how do we not worry? How do we apply, especially right now with COVID-19 and and fires and explosions and, and trafficking, sex trafficking with children? There's so much to worry about. How do we actually apply this to our lives?
0: So, I mean, that's a great question. And I think it's sort of like a baby learning how to walk. You know, at some point, the baby doesn't even realize that she can't walk. She's conscious, she's unconsciously unable. But then it's not later on, maybe she's six months old. She realizes some people can walk, but she can't. She tries, but she fails. And then we often celebrate the big moment when she's consciously able. If she focuses on it, she can make a few steps. And I think with with worry, for example, that's where a lot of us are trying to get to. But maybe when you were a kid, you were unconsciously unable to control your worries. You weren't even aware that controlling your worries was an option. You just thought like, this is how life is. Right. And now you're like, okay, wait a second. Like, I know probably my husband is not a serial killer or the odds (laughs) of a tornado. Right. So I think it's, it's somehow coaching ourselves to where I'm when I'm worried to say to myself, oh, wait a second is this, is this what you want to be doing? And then, you know, in the book, I give a series of questions that we can ask ourselves, like, what's the probability that this worry is really going to happen? And if it does happen, how bad will it hurt? Have I ever bounced back from this type of thing before? And by asking ourselves these kinds of questions, I think we can often relax ourselves a little bit, but it, it is sort of a developmental leap to be, to go from being unconsciously or consciously unable to control our worries to then being able to, okay, if I focus on it, I can. And the goal is that one day, just like a child learns how to walk without even thinking about it, that the process will become automatic. A little worry will come into my mind and then I'll just immediately, Hey, wait a second. I don't need to worry about this. But, but I mean, like I wrote the book and I'm still working on it. So I'm not trying to suggest that it's easy.
1: Right. But to be aware of it. And I loved when you talked about that in the book about being unconsciously worrying and then oh consciously oh i recognize i'm doing this consciously focusing on not worrying and then you unconsciously it's just it's almost becomes a habit or an ability now that you have to not focus on your worries and and not worry so much so along with that do you think in your opinion um the book is called the founder of our peace and of course the founder of our peace is is our savior jesus christ do you think that he has the ability to take those those worries or to strengthen that weakness that we have of, of consistently worrying and and really heal us from that. I, I know that some people maybe are afraid of taking medication or seeing a therapist or something like that. And I, and I just wonder, and this isn't to go against medical help at all, but I wonder if the Savior, who is also the master healer, has that ability to heal us completely and, and take that worry from our lives. What are your thoughts on that?
0: So, I mean, that's a great question. And I think you could, you can look at it in different ways. So first of all, does he have the ability? Absolutely. I mean, you think about when he visits the Nephites in 3517, he says, are there any among you who are afflicted in any manner? Bring yes. them forth and I will heal you. So for sure he can. At the same time, like if I break my leg is it possible that the bishop could come and give me a blessing and through the power of the priesthood, my leg is healed immediately? It's totally possible, right? but probably the bishop will give me a blessing and say, now let me take you to the hospital, right? Like you need to get professional attention. And, and honestly, and I think I'm sure that you've experienced this in conversations with your father, but Even people who are getting professional treatment, that doesn't mean you're going to be cured right away. Like a person might have a physical ailment, pray super hard, go to all the best doctors and that physical ailment doesn't go away. You remember in uh, in the Bible, the apostle Paul talks about how he had this affliction and three times he prayed for the thorn in the flesh to be taken away, but it wasn't. So even if you're super righteous and faithful and you do everything you're supposed to do, sometimes... God says, my grace is sufficient. I'm going to help you through the strengthening power of my atonement, continue to move forward, even though I'm not taking away the difficulty. So I think that is also an aspect of the Savior's healing.
1: Why do you think sometimes he doesn't take it away? Why do you think sometimes we're allowed? I don't know if allowed's the right word that that we are, um, that we are, I don't, I don't know what the right word is left to struggle or allowed to struggle or that he doesn't immediately take that away. Do you think it's just part of experiencing mortality and becoming stronger and learning from the things that are, that debilitate us?
0: Yeah. My guess is that there's a combination of things that are just natural results. Like this is, this is how things naturally work and God is not going to come in to intervene in every situation. Um, and then sometimes, like you said, maybe it's an intentional part of a growth plan that we're not aware of. And we you and I both have lots of kids with a variety of ages, and sometimes we're going to let those kids struggle through something like, could I swoop in and cancel piano lessons or call up a teacher and intervene in some circumstance? Well, sure. And maybe I do sometimes, but maybe sometimes I'm like, well, my child needs to learn how to how to handle this type of thing. And so I'm going to let them struggle.
1: Yes. And I think that's the hardest part of being a parent for me is watching my children struggle, It is watching them learn and, and teaching them principles and watching them still make poor choices after we've taught them, this is going to hurt you. And then watching them make that choice and get hurt. It's so hard not to say, okay, let me take it all away. And I think that our Heavenly Father must feel the same thing, teaching us, this is the way to be happy. Watching us stumble and fall, and saying, Oh man, and yet he's always there to help us bring us back and help cure and, and, um, and you know, bring peace to our lives, no matter how many times we make those decisions or we worry again or, or, or we stress out about things. He's always there, and I, I loved that part when you talked about that um, in the book as well about how some things may not be taken from us in this life. I actually got emotional and started crying when you said that, because I've dealt with anxiety my whole life. And, and I have been on several different medications trying to figure out the right formula. And this didn't really happen until I became a mom and, and I had postpartum and then it, it, I felt like it threw me off and I was trying to find the right balance of exercise versus eating right versus maybe meds versus therapy. And I'm still trying to find that balance. And there are times when I get emotional talking, thinking about it, it's really hard. And when you said, sometimes there are things in our lives that may not be taken. And that's when we pray, then please just help me through it in this life, knowing that everything will be completely whole and healed in the next life.
0: You said it really beautifully, Carmen. And I, you know, I, it, in some ways, it can sound sort of depressing to be like, "Oh, well, I guess maybe there's no happy ending." But I think, my, for me personally, my life has been so much happier once I've realized there doesn't necessarily have to be a happy ending. Like Lehi, he didn't get a happy ending. Laman and Lemuel didn't repent. Like he right. dies knowing that his kids are trying to kill their brother, but but Lehi still found comfort, hope, and peace through Jesus Christ, and sometimes we focus so much on the happy ending. And, you know, if you're a teenager and you, you're watching this, I don't know, little video and someone stands up for what's right. And everyone's like, okay, yeah, let's follow that kid. That kid's so good. And the, the, nice music comes on, but you know, what about the time when, th- so then I go and say, Hey guys, let's not do that. And everyone's like, you're a loser. And you know, I'm stuck right. with my friend's mom while everyone else is watching the fun movie, you know? And that, yes. So I think, but, but, but once I realized, Hey, There doesn't have to be a happy ending. There doesn't have to be this amazing, powerful story. I do what's right. I trust in Jesus Christ. And that's okay if I don't get this powerful, happy ending.
1: And honestly, that was the most freeing thought for me is it's okay if it's not perfect in this life. It's not going to be most likely. I will still struggle with things and and it's okay if... It's something that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ just helped me with. But the hopeful thought is they will. They will give me peace. They will help me through it because they know what I'm going through and know my infirmities and weaknesses. And the scripture talks about I will make weak things become strong. So even if I'm dealing with it, it may not be such a burden or such a thorn in my side my whole life. They will always be there. So tell me, how have you... You've done a lot of amazing things in your life besides writing books. You've done a lot of humanitarian work. And I want to know when you started doing that and how your efforts um, have blessed other people going to China and going to Mexico, building bunk beds with your kids. When did you start getting into traveling and doing humanitarian work?
0: So uh, shortly after my mission, I took a class at BYU and the professor was phenomenal and did a really great job of just educating us a little bit about poverty around the world. Because I served my mission in Colorado, I didn't have a really firsthand view of what it was like to live in other countries. Yeah. But but starting then as a 21-year-old, I had ideas. Like at BYU, we organized a benefit concert to help people in Honduras after a hurricane had hit there. And I've just ever since then found a lot of joy in trying to find ways to help those who just have it so much harder than I do. And many of those listening to this podcast do as well. And I I, I don't want to say that I'm perfect at it or amazing, but, um, but there's so there's just a plethora of opportunities out there and organizations that you can contact. And if you're going to do a family vacation to San Diego, why not tack on an extra three days at the beginning or the end and drop into Mexico and see if you can do a little bit of humanitarian work or so many opportunities.
1: I love that. And I love that your kids have been involved and and that you show them because there's there's nothing more powerful. We can, as a parent, I can preach until I'm blue in the face. But when I'm actually doing it with them, it's Mm -hmm. so different. We've always talked about during Christmas time, especially when it's commercialism and consumerism and presents. And we, um, Brad's family did this all growing up. And we've incorporated this tradition into our home is we take Christmas to a family in need. And my boys help save money and they pick out presents. And we go to their house on Christmas Eve and we we are Santa Claus and we drop off a whole Christmas to them. And my boys talk about that almost more than the presents that they got is, do you remember when we went to that house and they didn't have a garage and it was tart paper and, and they didn't have a, they didn't have any food and we brought them food. And it, I mean, it's such a powerful learning experience to include children and have them realize, like you said, wow, we really do have a lot, but also mm-hmm. to feel heavenly father's love for someone else. And that is the coolest thing is They get this happy, excited feeling. And it's like, that is, you are feeling Heavenly Father's love for this person. Even though you don't know them, you feel love for them. And that's Heavenly Father's love. And it makes you want to go out and serve more and help more. And it's an incredible thing.
0: So, I, and I've, I'm sure I'd love to hear, I'm sure that some people listening would love to hear as well. Like, how do you do that logistically? How do you find a family that you can go do that with and kind of respect their privacy and confidences? Yes. And how do you figure out like how much money you're going to let your kids spend so they don't go crazy? But right. they're, they're not going to be mad because you spent all their Christmas money. Right. does that really work?
1: Great questions. So my mother-in-law, um, would talk to the bishop in her ward and he would tell them of a family in need. And there's a really incredible story about this. When my husband was growing up and she contacted the bishop and said, um, and, and, and not to dig into anyone's private life, but, but families that had requested or, um, said that they needed additional help and it was all anonymous. And so, um, they would, They would get all these presents and they used to just drop it off on the doorstep and ring the doorbell and leave. And so they um, sent out a little email and they said, we're going to take Christmas to a family in our ward this year that's struggling. If you'd like to donate, bring presents to our house and um, we will take them to them Christmas Eve. And so many families in the ward dropped off presents and um, this one family um, dropped off a bunch of presents. And my mother-in-law asked my brother-in-law, who was this from? And he said, oh, this, these are all from the so-and-so family. And she fell to her knees in tears. And she said, no, they are the family we're bringing Christmas to this year. And they had sacrificed and raise money. And, and so they could buy presents. So it was neat to give them back everything that they had donated plus, plus so much more. And so that is typically what, what we do is, is um we, we do it with my, the Herbert family. And so my mother-in-law will talk to the bishop and her word about a family that is struggling. And then he will contact them and say, is this okay if if we bring you pre- – and I mean mm. most of the time it's yes, absolutely. And then typically it's it's just a small amount for my boys, like maybe $5 and under, $10 and under. And they either will maybe save some money, mm. like maybe sell cookies or lemonade um, or do a service for dad and I that they can raise money um, or sometimes pick out one of their favorite toys and, and donate it that way.
0: Well, I love how you make it so – um, accessible for your kids, you know, cause you could, you could just kind of like buy everything for them or make it so complicated that your kids couldn't really participate. But I love that the threshold is there so that they can have an experience. That's
1: awesome. Yes. Right. And it's, and it's little things and, and little toys, but they felt like I contributed and I helped out a few years ago, Brad and I went to Puerto Rico when hurricane Maria hit and we were able to do a service project there with a group called light up Puerto Rico and we gave humanitarian kits and and lights and water and and solar powered generators to the people in Puerto Rico and that was the most amazing experience and it was after that that I thought I really want to get my kids involved more in things like this because it changed my life and and I'm an adult and my I'm not saying that I can't have still have amazing experiences but when you're younger those are like the bedrock of your testimony mm-hmm. those experiences change your life and really Set the tone for your testimony and, and, and how you live your life and those experiences. My husband calls them bookmark moments in your life where you have a life changing experience. And then you can, when you're struggling with your testimony or things are really hard, you can look back in your life and say, Oh, but wait, I remember when I felt the spirit so strongly doing this. So I'm going to press on. And my boys made little hum- humanitarian kits. They put little toothpaste and toothbrushes and little Ziploc baggies. And we gave it away and we took a picture of us giving them to someone. And then when we got oh. home, we showed them, said, look, this was your little kit that you put together. And this is the person that we gave it to. And it was neat for them to be able to see how just their little bit of service, which was so simple, really impacted and changed this person's life.
0: That's awesome. I love it.
1: So when you went to Mexico and um, you said your son helped build bunk beds. for. Was it an orphanage down there or what was it for?
0: Yeah. So we, we actually have done it. So I'm not very handy when it comes to building stuff. So bunk beds is about like the limit of our skills. So we've done that <laughs> actually a few different times and built bunk beds. Sometimes we've gone in something similar to what you described where we've uh, found someone in the community through some community connections whose kids were sleeping on the concrete floor. So we um, built them there. But one time, yeah, we, we were able to identify um, an orphanage and do some, um, I think actually for the orphanage, we wound up uh, doing some other small construction work for them, building a little fence, doing some painting. Oh, cool. Seeing how you don't have to have incredible skills because you know, I think that would be a barrier for some people to say, well, I'm not a contractor. Like, how am I going gonna- right. to, there's small and simple things that we can do to just share a little goodness.
1: Absolutely. I think that's the main thing is it, you don't have to have any sort of special skills to serve someone and to do good. And heavenly father's blessed all of us with unique talents and abilities. And I think the best thing we can do is, is pray and ask him, how can I use My personal talents for good, you know, I sing, can I go sing it at at someone's house that, that has, is, is sick or ill. One of my really good friends, her daughter recently passed away from cancer. And before she died, I recorded some songs and sent them to her. And I thought this is stupid. This is, I don't want to seem like I'm listen to me sing or, you know, like it's about me. And I felt silly doing it. And yet I felt like, it was a way that I could serve. And my friend texted me back and she said, we watched these all night. My daughter and I, we watched these videos and they were, I asked what her favorite songs were. And one of them was um, a song from frozen and one of them was another song about a rainbow. And, And so I sang some of those songs to her and it was my way of serving. And so what would your advice be to people who do say, well, what do I have to give? How can I do good?
0: That is such a great point. I love your example of singing. And and yeah, we should definitely say that you don't have to travel to Mexico or to some other place to do this service or even Puerto Rico. You can do it from your own home. So if you have skills in coding, maybe you contact a local nonprofit and say, hey, could I help you improve your website? Great. You've got skills in marketing. You could, there's so many nonprofits who could benefit from someone with some marketing advice. Let me look at your brochures and help you rewrite some things so that you can get more donations to help you accomplish the work that you do. I think what you like your example of singing is perfect. Take what you do, take the skills that you have and then pray and ask Heavenly Father, how can I use these to help those who may not be able to help themselves?
1: Awesome. I love that. I was watching a TV show a while back and it, it was not a church-based show. It was, it was a, popular TV show and and they did a service project and one of the guys said, Service is never ever bad for you. It's always a good thing for your soul. And that really stuck with me. It's it's true, even though it may seem inconvenient sometimes too to Oh, haul my kids and go to the store and get the stuff. And you know, it's like, oh, this is such a, oh, and I don't want to go mow my neighbor's lawn. I don't want to go do this. I'm tired. And there's always an excuse. And President Iring has said the same thing. There's always a reason not to, but you will never regret it. You will always feel better after. It is never, ever bad for you. It can only help you by doing good. John, I have one last question for you. I want to know um, first off, what you enjoy the most about what you do now. You, you, you travel the world, you teach, you write, what is your most favorite thing that you do? Um, it with your work and also for fun. And, um, what advice can you give people that are, um, wanting to come and to Christ to feel that peace, but maybe feel like they're afraid to ask him or, they're not sure if, if he'll really answer their prayers and, and give him, give them that piece that they need.
0: So maybe to start with the first part of that question, I think my favorite part of what I do is when I get to talk with people about either what I've taught in class directly or in this book, like, for example, in this conversation, when you say, Oh, like I, I listened to this and here was my reaction to it. I love hearing that. Cause that, You're kind of like, you know, I'm in my office typing up this book in a vacuum and you wonder, like, is anyone going to read this? Is anyone going to help anybody? So to actually hear and engage, because it's really, I think, about the one on one individual. And so I I love talking with people about, you know, how has this, you know, how did this chapter help you? Or maybe if we just had a class on some aspect of the Savior's life, how did hearing about his miracles help you, Um, you know, to, to think about maybe. Your other question as far as what does someone do if they're feeling scared or uneasy in terms of building that relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ? Yes. My advice is just to to go forward. Sometimes we make things harder than they need to be. And I think, okay, well, I better get this like big program together. And I'm going to like write down 10 things I've got to do and make a checklist and make some charts. No, no, no. Just forget all that and open up the New Testament and just read a few verses and think about Jesus. Or maybe you have a picture in your house of Jesus Christ, or you find one online and just spend a little time meditating and thinking about him. Or this Sunday when you're like tired of doing stuff with the kids, go to your room and like search Jesus on YouTube and find a short movie about him. You know, I think there's just so many small ways that we can lean in and don't make it complicated but as a Benedict, I said you used this phrase earlier. He, Jesus is the founder of peace, and He wants us to come to Him. In fact, that's what that's what His gospel is all about. It's coming to Christ, and we just have to take some baby steps.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. I agree. That it doesn't have to be a really big thing. It can just be small efforts daily in our lives that will, so we can get to where we are unconsciously, even maybe trusting Him and Unconsciously following him, that it's just, it's just something that we do. We rely on him, and and maybe if if there's people out there that have to consciously think about it or make an effort to grow cl- closer to Jesus Christ right now, that is okay. But pretty soon, the the closer we become to him, the closer he becomes to us. Until we're, you know, walking side by side with him. And I think that's the ultimate goal: is to feel him ever nearer and more present in our lives. I want to ask you one more. I know I said that we'd, we'd end this, but I I did want to ask you one more question of, can you share an experience quickly of how you have applied these principles to your life and felt the savior's peace heal you?
0: Yeah. um, One of the principles that we talk about um, in the book is how we have help from our ancestors and, just like we know that there's work that we can do in the temple that our ancestors can't do for themselves. So we do the work for them. Yes, I believe that there's work that they can do on the other side of the veil for us that we can't do for ourselves. And there was one time, Lonnie, my wife and I, we were just really struggling with this certain issue and we had done everything that we knew how to do. And we really felt that there were some specific ancestors that knew about the situation that cared about it. And we prayed to heavenly father in the name of Jesus Christ, that these ancestors, if they could like break away from their other heavenly duties for a little bit and like just help with this, it'd be great. And and I really felt the power of the Holy Ghost like testify that these ancestors were aware, they cared, they were working to intervene on our behalf. And I think that's really helpful because sometimes in life we can feel alone, but when you remember yes. that your great great grandparents are there and their ancestors, and there's a host of people who are looking to help us.
1: I love that. I'm so glad you shared that because sometimes you can think, well, the savior is busy or he's the savior of the world. And, and 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 how can he really spend time with me? And I completely agree. I think one of the ways he does that is through our ancestors, angels on the other side of the veil and those around us, angels on this side of the veil yeah. and, and ask for that help like you did. That is such a beautiful story. And we can ask to be that help for others here. And John, you've been such a good example of being that help and, and, and doing good for others here on earth. And I'm so happy to know you and to be your friend. And I appreciate all the good you are doing. Thank you so much for coming on today and talking with us.
0: You bet. Thank you for all the good you do, Carmen. I feel the exact same way about you.
1: Thank you, John. If you guys want to check out more Doing Good podcasts, go on the Our Turtle House app. They are free. Download the app, tell your friends and family, and don't be afraid to do some good. I'm Carmen Herbert. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. If you'd like to hear more from Carmen and get brand new full-length talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers like John By The Way, Meg Johnson, and Hank Smith, you can exclusively inside Our Turtle House. And when you join today, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode next week.